We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. Welcome to 2022. All I do is plug the YouTube channel now, Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that's CKID206. And also, while we also plug the YouTube channel, I want to thank all the listeners on the audio versions as well. We appreciate you. I know you don't want to go over and convert, but we appreciate you still tapping in with the Seahawks man-to-man every week because I still see it. So we appreciate that. Yes, thank you for, yeah, I almost forgot that. Spotify, Apple, all of it. The athletic, all of it. We appreciate you guys. Happy, happy new year. Uh, Seahawks started off the new year with an ass kicking. Uh, they, in their final home game at Lumen Field, beat up on the broken Detroit Lions 51 to 29. Seahawks are now six and 10 <laughs> this season. Uh, they have one more game left in the desert against the Arizona Cardinals next Sunday. I will be there, I believe. Um, should be an interesting game because it always is when the Seahawks play in the desert. Um, as you guys know, we always like answering your guys' questions on the post-game show. This is no different. Uh, last week, after the loss to the Bears, we dedicated the whole show to the questions you guys had because they were so good, and they basically encapsulated all the things we would have talked about if we had talked about the game. The games are inconsequential at this time just because, I mean, they ain't playing for nothing but each other and contracts and to avoid – injury so with that said we would like to run it back with you dedicating the entire show to addressing what you guys want to hear because we are here for you the people and you guys asked great questions again um very good stuff thought provoking um couple ones that were kind of funny so <laughs> chris let's do it you know that's my favorite part of the show let's jump in to the questions Week two of the mailbag Twitter questions. Yeah, that's basically what's turning to a mailbag based on the game, which I'm okay with because, I mean, the Lions stink. They're really bad. I Googled Tim Boyle during the game. <laughs> I saw that tweet. I was dying. I was like, this, this man's ass. <laughs> I have no idea how he got in the league. Tim Boyle, a, a quick tangent on Tim Boyle, the starting quarterback for the Lions just playing in place of uh, Jared Goff, who's hurt. Uh, Tim Boyle started at UConn. He's, he's from Connecticut, balled out there. He was bad at UConn. He had like three three coaches in as many years, uh, three head coaches. 
he threw like 13 interceptions and had through one touchdown pass in three years in like 20 games or something like that. Just awful. Transfers to Eastern Kentucky, which I believe is FCS. I didn't bother to check. And I'm not going to check because it's Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky, he throws 13 interceptions again <laughs> in one year and only throws 11 touchdowns. Averages like four and a half yards in attempt or something like that. Just awful numbers. And then somehow it gets on the Packers <laughs> after that. So I have no idea how this guy is in the league. That said, he made some throws on Sunday that I thought were cool. But I pregame, I was like, who the hell is this guy? So that's how interesting the game was. The first mention of it is this guy named Tim Boyle. Who <laughs> is now not related to John Boyle, by the way. Make that Yeah, not cool. related to uh, Seahawks digital uh, beat writer uh, John Boyle. Uh, good Lord. That was He's got the best agent in the world, or this Tim Boyle guy is the ultimate gym rat filling out all the white guy stereotypes because he is nowhere near should be uh, in the league with that with that resume. That said, all right, sorry, quick tangent. I thought that was hilarious because I'm sure most of you watching the game like, who the hell is this guy? I think it was fair. To your point, it had to do with the game. People were probably wondering the same thing you were. Who is this guy? It's probably safe to say he knew someone, maybe a scout. They were like, had, hey, man, I can get you on the to. team. No, make a few throws, and you you could be a you could be a third string quarterback at worst. Okay, that's, if they came exactly. to me and said, "Chris, you could be a gunner," I'd be like, "Sign me up! Just don't run out of bounds. I can yeah. I go I go do it." That's different. Though. Your resume, anyway. I won't spend too much time on Tim. <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's 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 jump into these Seahawks questions. Here we go. Will this game move the needle at all for what needs to happen in the offseason? This person is terrified they'll win next week against the Cardinals, and this will convince Jody to run it back another year. Uh, this is this is a good question. I don't think so. I don't think the individual games can do that. I don't think they can hold that much weight when there's not anything on the line. You know what I mean? Like, like even the for better or worse. Like, I don't think beating the Bears or excuse me, losing to the Bears does that either. Because I think it's about how the product looks. You know, I think the most important thing is somebody tweeted this or texted to me. It's probably I think it was my cousin. Shout out my cousin Demetrius. You know, Pete hasn't lost the guys, clearly. And I think I said that when I say that, because after like the Washington game or something like that. Uh, I think you're right. One of them one of them games where I was just like, you know, they're losing, but like it's clearly that it's clear Pete hasn't lost the room. And that's one of one of the things you weigh when you're looking at keeping your coach. Like those guys are fighting to the end. Even in a meaningless game like this, they was balling, you know, they were depleted. They were playing, I don't know, what is Michael Jackson, their seventh string corner. I had to Google him during the game. Yeah, he I mean, he's my goodness that which Trey Flowers, DJ Reed, Sidney Jones, Trey Brown, bless, bless Austin, uh, John Reed. Yeah. So it uh, depends on how you want to do the depth chart. Mike is like the seventh cornerback that they've played out there. Like they are one injury away from calling either me or you, Chris, to go play outside corner. It was really, really bad. So I forget where I was, where I was even going with that. But my point is, oh, they're playing hard. They're playing hard despite who's out there. And I thought that was – and that's been noticeable. And it, as long as that stays, and as long as you don't get like an Antonio Brown situation where somebody just takes their shirt off and just leaves uh, in the middle you of the game. You know what? I'm done with this, Mike. Yes. Please don't take your shirt off. Uh, but uh, as long as they don't have no situations like that, I don't think that any one game will do anything. You know, I think if you're Jody and you're tr- Jody Allen, the owner of the team, and you're trying to assess the situation, you just look at the whole body of, of stuff. And you talk to guys after the season, you know, some of the leaders, you talk to a Bobby. You talk to Russ, talk to Russ a couple times, you know, talk to Dwayne or whoever, you know, maybe even DK, Tyler, whatever. You kind of get a feel for things at that point, but it's not, oh, we beat the Lions. Things are great. Or, oh, we lost to the Bears. Fire everyone. I just don't think at this point in the season 
you could do that. You got to look at the whole the whole body of work. But I do think that's a fair question, though. But I just don't think that one game in either direction matters more than whether, like, guys are, you know, whether, A, if you're the owner, if people are showing up, which the announced attendance was about 68,000. That's a goddamn lie. There was not 68,000 people there. Um, mm. So, I mean, they'll get all the finances and stuff right. They'll figure out how much money they're making. Because that's that's number one. Are people paying to get their butts in the seats? And the other part is like, do the players even look like they want to be there playing for that guy? And that's important. So I think those things matter as in, you know, in totality, you know, as you're trying to evaluate the season, not just did we beat the Lions, did we lose to the Lions, did we lose to the Bears, did we lose to Colt McCoy? Um, all that stuff is frustrating and you take it into account, of course, but I don't think one game can really move the needle either way. I would say, this is the one caveat to that, is that when you are evaluating with like, cause trading Russell's on the table and we'll talk to talk about that too. Russell's performances, each game do matter. I think like you need to see Russ play well and know what you have in him because that just affects everything. Whether you want to keep him, that affects his trade market, whatever. So Russ's performances do matter. I think in that regard, outside of that, I don't think the result of the individual games moves the needle that much. I think it's important to look at, well, what does need to happen? Because they asked, what will this game move the needle at all for what needs to happen? So I would ask, what do you think needs to happen? For me, I honestly don't know what needs to happen at this point. I don't know if they should keep Russ, keep Pete, run it back. I don't know if they should fire everyone. I really, it's it's 50-50. I really don't have the, a great answer on what they should do. But winning... It cures it for a while. It makes I mean, winning it, helps for sure. Yeah. It makes it makes a little it makes things more calm. Not it's not going to answer all the questions because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Russ wants to win three more Super Bowls. I'm assuming that's in the next three years. He doesn't want to do it, you know. Well, yeah, he's not planning on losing. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah, you're right. So with that being said, does this roster, does this coaching staff, is this all going to? put yourself in that position for Russ and his team to go out and compete. If everybody's healthy, I think they can make some moves at the corner position. Still got to figure out some holes in the offensive line to definitely get it done. So I would say everyone helps, but at this point it's a little too late. Like the off season is going to be the off season. It is what it's going to be, what it's going to be. We're all going to find out whatever happens after the game against the Cardinals win or lose. If they win, maybe the same thing happens. If they lose, Maybe nothing happens. I, 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 who knows? I wish I had a time stone from the Infinity War. I could see the future and be like, oh, well, if they win, this is going to happen. If they lose, this is going to happen. But I don't have that stone. So I honestly, I really don't know what's going to happen. If Jody runs it back, I wouldn't be upset with it. But at the same time, I'm thinking maybe they should just deplete it. So I really don't know. Well, I think, I think the other, I think the, the, the fans really do play a role here from a business standpoint. Like if no one showed up today, that would be a like Jody's got to look. He can't ignore that because she runs the business side of it too. But he, at the same time, you know, um, this also would have been the last home game and the weather was crappy. So taking that into account too. But I think that stuff factors in um, as much as some of the uh, just what the product looks like. Because again, it's about butts and seats for owners. It's about are we putting a product there that people want to spend money for and come out for, and that stuff matters. Um, but I think people did came out. They stayed late. Uh, in the rain, it just wasn't those sixty-eight thousand, <laughs> but there was there was there was a decent amount of people there, kind of noisy, especially on some of those turnovers. Um, 
Yeah, so I do, I do think that matters. The one thing that – here's what should happen. <laughs> Just real quick. Jody needs to – and I, I've, I've thought this as well. I don't know if I've said it. So to make it not seem like I'm stealing, I did hear Mike Salk and uh, Brock Hewitt uh, mention this as well. I think it was Brock specifically who said Jody needs to sit Russ down when the season's over and say, do you trust Pete Carroll? That's mm. it. Start with that question. And you go from there. I don't know what the follow-ups would be necessarily. It depends on his answer. But that's the question. Hey, Russ, do you trust Pete Carroll? Yes. Okay, cool. No? Okay, cool. Then you just proceed accordingly. So I don't know what would come of that. I don't I honestly don't know Russ's answer to that. I have a guess, but I'm not sure. Uh, if, if you ask him that and you go from there, that's what I think should happen. Everything stems from Russ's answer to that question. All right. For those of us that want major changes, Pete, John, Russ, was today's game, victory over the Lions on Sunday, a worst-case scenario? Can Pete just say, see you guys, we are just fine? He could. He could. But I think he'd be wrong. And I think that that's where um, Mike Garofolo's report from after the Washington game, that Jody is not looking at this season in a vacuum. You know, she's uh, taking into account everything. And I think that's important. I think Mike's reporting there was very uh, – that was the most important part. Of it. I think I quote tweeted the report and noted that specific line because she shouldn't look at it as – sure, sure, Pete can walk in there and like, see, 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 look, we, we beat the crap out of rookie Dan Campbell head coach guy and a beat-up-ass Lions team that is now, what, 2-13-1? and one? That's not – no, you have to look at how they got here. And I've been kind of telling people that when they ask me, like, Mike, it's one bad season. Like, even shout out to the homie Cliff Averill. Cliff tweeted, it was like, if you won't change after one bad season in 10 years, you bug it. I'm paraphrasing Cliff's tweet, but you get the gist. And I would the counter to that would be like, that ignores how we got here. Some of the problems that are wrong with the Seahawks now are stuff that people have been mentioning when they were winning. Like, Stuff like, look at what Sherm said on the way out about the Seahawks have lost their way. Uh, look at tweets, or excuse me, Doug's tweet most recently, Doug Baldwin, that is, about uh, the need for accountability and selflessness. These are messages that people, Sherm said that in like 2017. Doug's been talking about accountability for years. You know, like there's been, accountability has been a theme here for a while. And, you know, there's they're not the only players um, to say this stuff whether on or off the record, but that's not, that's not been a mystery here. You know, people ask me what a Doug's tweet mean. Um, and I, I can't read Doug's mind, but I don't think he's necessarily subbing, subtweeting Russell Wilson. I think it was more like the organization that whole needs accountability and selflessness. And that's a message that Doug has been preaching for a long time. Right. And that's something that other guys on the team have talked about. And when you go look at some of those, the Robert Klimko SI article from 2018, and you go look at the Seth Bickersham piece from 2017, the ESPN one, at the root of those is that the Seahawks lost their way and accountability was at the forefront of what they have lost, whether that's holding Pete accountable or whether that's Pete not holding Russ accountable or some variation of all that stuff. That was the issue. So I think that, and how, and how we've gotten here is that that's one really big part of it, you know? And even then after they lost to the Buffalo, uh, Buffalo last year, I was watching the game with Cliff actually. And when they got smoked, I said, Cliff, what needs to happen here? How do they fix this? He was like, Number one thing is they got to have accountability in there, you know, and it, he wasn't talking in the macro sense of the whole franchise, but that, that matters. So I don't think that 
even if Pete was to be like, yo, look, look, even if they beat Arizona next week, like, yo, 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 look, 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 look how we finished the year. No, no, no. Why are we here? Why are we like, look at you. You're celebrating Jody. You're like, look at you, Peter. You are celebrating. In my mind, she calls him Peter. Uh, look at you, Peter. You're celebrating winning seven freaking games. <laughs> seven. How did we get to the point where winning seven is joy? Right? Mm. Like, that answer that question, and I, I would turn that right on his head if Pete was to say that to me after the year. Not to say he would, but you know, he's Mr. Optimist, so maybe he would. But I mean, he's not no fool. They won nine games in 2017, he fired everybody, <laughs> right? So they only went, they lose 10, you know, in 2019 or 2021 or whatever. Then I assume that he'll take a step back and realize there are a lot of things wrong here, whether it was third down stuff, why their pass rush wasn't there again, why even today they didn't sack uh, this Boyle dude, I don't think. Um, so why their pass rush wasn't there, why their run game takes so long to get going without Chris Carson, uh, right? Like why their pass protection never grades really high. Um, why they, um, you know, they're bad at Russ has not figured it out on third down, excuse me. You know, there's, there's a bunch of other stuff, you know, the aggressiveness on fourth downs or whatever. There's so many things, you know, why some of their draft picks don't pan out, you know, it just, a bunch of stuff has led to here you could start from the 2017 draft and work your way backwards as to why or forward whatever to why they got here so as even if pete was to pete was like yo look look at what we did in january in our final two games i'd be like dude let's look at the last like four years mm. you up in here celebrating winning seven games you <laughs> get the hell out of here with that you one of the highest paid coaches in the nfl we trying to win championships brother you know, that's so true i think that would that's the counter to any claim that what happens in January has, should change how the offseason goes. How much of what we saw Sunday versus the Detroit Lions was Shane finally having full control of the offense and how much was the fact that Detroit is just a bad team? And if you're Russ, would you be willing to stay if Waldron became head coach? Um, to that last point, no. I don't think Russ likes Shane that much. Uh, I also think that'd be risky, man. Dude's never even been an OC, does that for one year, and then all of a sudden you make him the head coach. That'd be that'd be crazy talk, I think. But um I, I tweeted about during the game that Shane was in full control, and I highlighted I highlighted some um very specific things. Like a, one sequence that really stood out was um because when you if you watch the games and you watch the all 22, which is the, the footage that we get, you know, Chris and I watch every week that you can see the whole field, uh, whole field at all times. And I usually tweet that out, you know, I watch some clips, tweet out my favorites. Um, if you watch the designs, it's very clear that Shane is designing stuff for Russ to throw over the middle of the field. A lot of quick game, a lot of stick routes and slants and, you know, under hitches. Like, he has quick game built in there. Same stuff Shotty had, to be really honest. But um, you could tell it's in there. And there was a sequence today where it was like, whether Shane told him right before the series or whatever, I think Russ took a sack. Or maybe it was a big loss on a run. It was like second and 14. And then the next play was like a quick hitch to like Penny Hart for like six yards or something like that. And it was like third and nine after that. And then uh, D. Eskridge catches like a quick out for like seven yards. So now it's like fourth and one or something like that. My math's probably off. I'm sorry. But then <laughs> Russ does a QB sneak on fourth and whatever in field goal range too, in the red zone, I believe. Um, and then I think they end up scoring or whatever. But it was it was how decisive they got out of trouble, uh, how, how decisively they got out of trouble. Because we've seen it before, Chris. Second and 14 turns into a draw play. Now it's 
third and 16, and then they hand it off again, and it's like, boo, and then the crowd gets all pissed, right? And everyone's like, ah, oh, Pete Carroll sucks. Um, this time it was like, no, we can get out of this. Watch this. All right, quick, right here. Penny Hart, boom. Okay, quick, right here. Uh, D. Eskrit. Okay, boom. Now we short, fourth and short, boom. Let's go for it. And now that felt like a Shane thing. That really did feel like that. I think that's when I tweeted, Shane, Shane's in his bag. And I think the other thing was just noticing how much, and you guys can see it on the broadcast version, they were in shotgun a lot today. And I keep track of all the under center versus shotgun um, snaps. They were shotgun a lot, but still ran play action. I think the very first play of the game actually was a shotgun play action. It didn't work, but it was it was something you saw from Shotty a lot more than we've, we've seen under center play action with Shane. And that changed. Um, and it has some effectiveness too. And it was like, damn, is Shane, did Pete leave? I only to get, pull out the binoculars. Like, is Pete even down there? Because this looked totally did. It looked like some stuff Shane would have been waiting to do and finally was able to do it. I don't know if Pete just like backed off this week. I doubt it. But um, if he did, do that again next week. That was going to be my next point. I was going to say, I was going to say, if that is the case, you should allow Shane to run the offense. That is his, he's getting paid to do that. His one job is to make sure the offense does one thing and that score touchdowns. Which they and did. How many touchdowns they had today? Six? A lot. <laughs> they had 50 points. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they ran over 70 plays. This is, Pete Carroll's was, this is, this was a favorite game. You know, he was so amped up about what he saw on the field. They got the turnovers. They got the ball. They ran it. They were throwing it. DK was doing his thing. The game was what Pete Carroll – this is the game that Pete wanted. This is all he wants, to be honest. Everything was going his way. That's what head coach wouldn't, right? I think he would have wanted them to win, a, you know, on the, some goal line stand <laughs> or something. I swear he – Oh, deep down? <laughs> yeah, deep down he's like, damn, you know, it would have been nice to get like a strip sack in the game. The ugly wins that we talked about last season when Pete was like, yeah, you know, it was a great game. We In the mud, they were fighting, gritty. No, Pete, blow them out. They are just defeat them, crush them. The Seahawks did that against the Detroit Lions, but I agree with you on that. I wouldn't – yeah, Shane Waldron, head coach, especially with – we don't even know if he's really calling plays. Hell, we just he's now – calling the plays. For I sure. mean, hang on. We don't know how much – we don't know his role. You know, we know that he calls the plays. We don't know how much Pete is saying, mm, not this time, buddy. We don't know that. So to give him the head coaching job would be – That'd be yeah, wild. That's unless unless they went 16 and 1 and scored 40 a night. And and Russ and, and not Russ. And Pete was like, Yeah, the way Shane's been doing it, I haven't had to step in at all. Okay, cool. You could probably say, you know what, you want to be the head coach. If Russ is okay with it, that's granted. Jody sits Russ down and says, Hey, what do you think about Shane being the head coach? Russ is like, sign me up. But yeah, I wouldn't do that. We'll stick with Shane. We got another question regarding Mr. Waldron. With the performance on the offense today, do you think Pete let Shane dabble more and take control of the offense? Because it seemed, like to your point, Mike, that he was doing so today. You know, I don't, to be fair, I don't necessarily think, we don't know for sure if that's what happened. Speculations. I do think, yeah, Pete, Pete is probably... The biggest thing Pete mentioned today was that they ran 71 plays. <laughs> if when you run more plays, you have a chance to do more cool stuff. And he's right. Uh, you know, I think 71 is their highest of the season, uh, 71 plays is. I think they ran 68 against the, the Niners in the rematch against the Niners. So that that factors in as, as well. I also think the Lions are bad. So, like, everything pretty much worked. You know, they mixed up their coverages pretty well. Like Russ was saying, you could see from the uh, press box, they're running a lot of different stuff. 
timing blitzes up and stuff like that. They were trying and they just did not did not really uh, work, out, work out that well. Mostly because the pass protection was really solid. And I've, we've said on this show a million times this year, when you can block, you can run whatever the hell you want. doesn't matter what they do in coverage or up front. I think that that really mattered. Um, so I think – I do think that because this stuff worked, not necessarily from Pete to Shane's view, I think it can work more like – it can have more of a trickle-down effect to be like, look, guys, I know it took till week 17, but look at the screen. Like I'm talking – I'm thinking of like in a team meeting on Monday. Like, look, look. We can be this right here a lot, you know, and then now that they've shown some of this stuff, now the defense will have to adjust to it and be like, cool, so here's how they're going to adjust. You see how they run that pop pass to Tyler for a touchdown? Well, now we can add this wrinkle if they bring the safety down. You know what I'm saying? Just You can play off of that. I just think that that seeing it in uh, in action like that can have an effect, but I don't necessarily think it'll be Pete like, you know what, Shane, you kind of do know how to do this, huh? I do that again. No, I think that would uh, that would suggest Pete was holding Shane's hand all year. And I, I don't think he was. Um, I think Shane had control. I think a lot of it was just they were not blocking well for a long time, like the entire month of November, uh, which is an issue. And they couldn't run the ball for the entire month of October, which is an issue as well. So uh, now they can run the ball and they can block. So Shane, it looks like Shane's doing a lot better, which he probably is too. You know, probably getting better as a play caller. It's the first time doing it. But I, I don't think Pete was like, all right, bro, I'm going to chill out, smoke my cigar. You got the offense today. And if he did, that's – I don't know why it took that long. Uh, but, yeah, I don't really think that's actually what happened. Let's go to some Russell Wilson questions. What do you oh, say? Boy. Here we go. <laughs> All right, I'm doing my best. If Russ wants to stay and his no-trade clause put aside, could a rebuild Could a rebuild work with Russ? Given his salary cap hit over the next few seasons – his age, when you keep in mind a rebuild, takes some years. Also, could a rebuild with Pete work given his age and his view on football? Uh, I don't think the rebuild works with – I don't. I think there's no uh, – let me be clear here. There's no guarantee it works whether you build around Russ or you build around Pete. Make that clear. It's hard either way. I've, I really rule out it working when you build around Pete just because I don't really trust his personnel um, acquisitions quite yet. I just – like – say trade Russ and get three first round picks from like Philly or something like that. I just don't trust him to hit on those in the way that he would need to, to, to rebuild right away. And you can look at some examples of teams that have had a lot of draft capital and a lot of money, Jaguars, Dolphins, Jets, Giants. These are teams, you know, Cleveland has, these teams have had money over the last couple decades and just blew it. Right. Just draft picks and, and money doesn't guarantee a rebuild, right? You need to do stuff with it. So I think that's where the Pete one falls through. The Russell one is interesting. It would still be very hard. I think Russ's salary is really, really overblown in this. Like, of course, his salary, quote unquote, see air quotes for the YouTube viewers, it matters. But like I said, when he got his extension, you can win with a quarterback making a lot of money. You have to draft well. At the very least, you can't draft poorly. And I mm. think that is what the Seahawks did immediately after paying Russ. The problem in 2019 was not paying Russ. That was not the problem. The problem was paying Russ and then drafting LJ and then drafting Marquise and then drafting Cody and then drafting Phil Haynes, you know, and then drafting who else in that class? Um, you know, Homer, um, who's the sixth round pick. So that's actually probably a fine value, but you guys get my point. That draft class is not impressive. It's, it's DK and some dudes mostly. Um, that is your mistake. 
Because if you would have hit on that class, those guys would be in year three this year, entering year four, all on the cheap. You know, we could go through that class and see who they could have taken, but you guys get my point. Point is, you draft well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Then you, you know... Then you're then you're killing it, right? Like in 2020, take Trav- take Trevon Diggs instead of Jordan Brooks, maybe, right? And then you got like one of the best corners in the freaking league for the cheap instead of having to start like Bless Austin and Sidney Jones and stuff like that. So I think you can build around Russ. It's still hard. You still have to hit on draft picks, um, but I I would have more faith in perhaps hitting on those if you removed the current front office from having all this power because I I just don't trust these guys. I don't care if it's Pete or John. Who cares? Their track record since 2013 is awful. awful. Not good. No, yeah. And I just don't trust them to build around Russ. But I do think it will be slightly a smidge easier to build around Russ, even with his salary, with a new front office. Because yeah, you hit on the draft, it doesn't matter how much your quarterback makes. Because your whole your, your, your whole roster will be Russ and a bunch of dudes on minimum wage, which is kind of how it works for most of the damn teams in the league anyway, except for the Chiefs. How would you describe the Seahawks' offense this season or how it was supposed to be? I don't think it was let Russ cook. But was it? It wasn't Pete Ball either. You know, um, it wasn't Pete Ball, um, mostly because they couldn't run it well. Um, but I do think if he had to ask me a word to describe the Seahawks' offense in 2021, I would use disappointing, and not because I know everyone feels kind of lied to. Like in the offseason, you know, you've seen it. Chris will get the tweets. Yo, Mike, Chris, we were told it would have A, B, and C. We were told Shane was going to do this. We would look, man. Shane didn't tell us a damn thing, really. You can go back and watch all his interviews. He didn't really tell us he was going to do anything. Uh, training camp, even then, it was really vague. It was all these buzzwords, intelligent, high octane or whatever. Up to, it was all this stuff that was super vague. I think we've been saying for months and months and months, you know, Shane wasn't going to come in here and reinvent the wheel. So, But the reason I say disappointing is because week one gave us the blueprint. Shane didn't have to tell us anything. He showed us. They, they ran through the Colts. Russ threw, what, four touchdowns? I think they were good on third down that day. I'm pretty sure they were. Excuse me. They were um, – Chris Carson ran well. They got like 91 yards and like 16 carries, something like that. Really efficient day. They were they, – they 
ran through the Colts, a good Colts team too. Uh, and they never looked like that again until like week 14. I'm talking about the, the design of the plays, some of the quick hitting stuff, the tight end involvement, like diagno diagnosed plays or diagrammed, excuse me, plays for the tight ends. All that stuff vanished for like two months. <laughs> no matter who was in the uh, running the uh, when even when Gino was in there, and I thought that was really disappointing. And I thought I was tripping a little bit thinking that during the year. And then Russ now like two or three times in his last few press conferences has unsolicited brought up week one is like yeah that's what the <laughs> offense should look like like week one I think about week one when, when y'all know how Russ talk you know I think about week one when you know Russ's thing is always to say I think about and then Bobby if you notice Bobby always says you. Like you think about, like if you ask Bobby, like, "Hey, what do you think of Jordan Brooks?" He'd be like, "Yeah, you see the growth. You definitely see the growth." I was like, "No, you mean I see the growth?" <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, Russ saying that reaffirmed what I thought, and I've talked to some other people about this too. Week one looked one way, every other game looked completely different, and I was like, "What the hell?" So I think that's why it's disappointing because now today looked like week one. You know, it looked like you know getting getting got, getting your playmakers the ball near the line of scrimmage, quick hitting stuff to DK, um, you know, a lot of play action stuff. They were heavy play action today, I thought. I just thought uh, today in the Houston game and even a little bit of the Rams game, the second one, just looked like it was supposed to look. And it's so disappointing that it took till December for just it, it, it to look, it look it, excuse me, for it to look that way. I would say this off this Seahawks offense this season has been mysterious. A lot of questions that i don't have answers for it's you watch we've talked about it multiple times when other teams face the seahawks and how they attack and use their weapons and then you look at the seahawks and their weapons and they don't get used in certain situations right you have screen bubble screens to travis homer when you have dk metcalf d eskridge <laughs> mind you it's on third down this was You're never gonna let them live down that screen to travis hell homer. no watch was the film Dallas? was it both you were bro, pissed about one of them screens one bro it happens i've seen the film and i i stop it and go what are they thinking here are they thinking to catch them off guard <laughs> is that what they're thinking <laughs> we're gonna catch them off guard with a, a screen to travis homer here on third and three no you're not use the <laughs> weapons you got it's not nah, for real. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, I'm with you. I'll be there every game. You're right. So I would say it's a mystery because I, I, sometimes I don't know what's going on. I'm watching the game live. I go back and rewatch the game and I still don't have an answer. Maybe I should just start texting you more and you, you might have some insight. <laughs> I try to try to do it all alone and try to figure things out and come up with my own conclusions. But for the most part, it's been a mystery. It's been almost 13 weeks since we've seen not including week 14, but they went on a, just a large gap. You know, I get it. Russ got hurt. Everything got thrown off. But for the offense to look so abysmal and wondering why aren't certain guys getting the ball here? Why isn't DK flourishing like he should, especially when he is one of the best at his position mm -hmm. where he's at in the league? I, to me, it's, 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 I wonder, like, damn. What is going on? Do they not feel comfortable with certain situations? Is it? I don't know. So hopefully everything gets figured out. That's all I got, really. Hopefully, well, we got one game left. So, well, I, I, I would say for the future, not not in this next game against the Cardinals. It'd be nice to see DK have another game where he has a touchdown or more, and he gets targets, and they're using him, they're throwing it to him. But 
my intuition tells me that that's not going to take place against the Cardinals. Some things are going to revert back. The old ways are going to come back, and you probably get where I'm going. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I, w- but, I will say one more thing before the next question. Are you good? I don't necessarily care how many targets he gets, so that doesn't matter. I think he led the team with, like, nine today. I really do think that I just wish his targets didn't always look so difficult. You know, I just – That's a good was, point. Like, there was one today that was just like, you know, they were under center. Russ didn't even play action. He just snapped the ball, threw it to DK. I think Freddie was blocking for him uh, to the left side of the field, picked up like six yards. Like, that's great. It's easy. Oh, easy. It, you don't even got a pass block that long. You know, Dwayne right. probably didn't even get out of his stance. So he threw the ball so fast. Like, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. And it just seemed like there could be more of that. Like, eventually, they're going to, teams are going to start to play that. But it just, I don't well, feel like when they come up, you... yeah, yeah, there's ways to counter when they do start to come up and cheat. And I just think that. It's stuff like that. Like every DK doesn't need to catch a 50 yard bomb every week. I just think that his, his targets look so difficult. And I think that's why his re- complete, his perception percentage is like the fifties. And yeah. it's not because he can't catch. He doesn't even have that many drops this year. It's just that the opportunities, uh, the opportunities, the degree of difficulty on some of his targets are just crazy. Whereas I think they could be a lot simpler, even if that sacrifices is air yards per target or whatever. Like, I don't care. Treat him like a slot receiver then, whatever. That's kind of the new thing anyway. It's not just having a big Terrell owens size receiver on the outside and throwing nine routes to him. Now all the damn best receivers are little shifty dudes anyway, you know, because yeah. that's where the offenses are going. So I, that's my thing on DK. Um, I just want to get that in there. To back up your point, I would say if you want to look at a player, at two players that do this perfectly, it'd be – Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams. Those yeah. two Stafford and Cup too. Yeah, those there's a bunch of pairs, but I love watching Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams because they just look at each other sometimes and it's a back shoulder. Yeah, it's yeah, a it's, yeah. it's a oh I'm gonna I'm supposed to hand it off to Aaron Jones or Dylan, AJ Dylan, but the guy's playing nine yards off. I'm not gonna give to the running back and Aaron Jones like, am I getting the ball? Seven yards there. Those are the things that Mike is referencing in regards to just making it easy. And maybe that comes along with the relationship between Russ. And DK, as they build this, hopefully, again, Russ does return. That way they can do this following next season because it's a little too late now. But that is something Mike is referencing when he's talking about make it easy. Because Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams make it look easy. Like Every I'm like, damn. <laughs> I mean, today, if I'm not mistaken, Devonta had nine or ten catches for a buck 30 and a touchdown. And he had like 12 targets. Just saying, guys. Just saying. That's every week, though, he looks like that, too. Yeah, he does it week in and week out. Does Waldron deserve to be back next season, whether Russ is in Seattle or not? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know how long I want to go on chain, but, um, you know, that's tough. It de- sure. I mean, it's not a bad. He's not. He's fine. I thought I'm, I'm probably going to do a review of uh, both coordinators after the year. Um, so probably I'll dive into both of them a little later, but um. I think both Ken and Shane had some good things about their systems, had some bad things about their systems. Um, I think overall Shane was fine. Like in that stretch when Russ wasn't playing well, I don't think there was, there's two things at play. Russ wasn't playing well and making some simple throws that I do think there could have been some easier stuff built in um, when Russ clearly didn't have it, you know? And I think that's a fair critique of, of Shane. Um, And I thought that they were, um, they they thought their run game would be a lot better than it actually was. And I thought that was really the problem when Gino was the quarterback too. Like you could tell the the mandate was 
let's have everything else function well around Geno, including the run game. And it just, man, playing the Steelers, playing the Saints, one of the best run defenses in the league, that felt like the time to almost play entirely quick game. You know, screens, moving the pocket. Just like instead they tried to run it at Demario Davis 50 times, and he was like, I ain't no sucker, and they couldn't run the ball. You know, so I think um, I thought Shane was fine. You know, Seattle's offense is still going to finish above average for the year, probably in DVOA and EPA per play. So I'm not too critical of him, but I think they could probably upgrade there, I think. But we'll see. There's so many questions to be answered before we get to that. Got it. With the Schefter report saying this is likely the end of the Pete Carroll era, who are potential candidates for the job that would fit Russ's style of being that efficient play-action downfield quarterback? Man, Adam Schefter's lucky I couldn't sleep Saturday night, and I was up at 4 a.m. Pacific time when he dropped that report. I can't believe he dropped that. that. Adam, come on, man. You're going to drop a report about Seattle at 4 in the morning? I can't believe that was Adam, we got to talk. I don't even know him. Um, we got to talk, though. Um, I thought Adam's report was a big nothing burger, though. That was the really upset thing. It was like, oh. It was like, I feel like Russell Wilson, and, or excuse me, like Russell Westbrook in that one uh, viral uh, post game press conference he's got. He's like, what? What? What are you talking about, man? No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He said some other stuff I can't say on the pod, but I was like, Adam, what is this? You woke me up before him for you to say that Schneider might trade Russ, but then he might not. And then this could be Pete's last game of Russ, but it might not. I was like, brother, what are you talking about? You better have something if you're going to put that out at 4 a.m. I, I thought that was really annoying. Um, I don't think we should read too much into that. I think everyone is just grasping at straws right now, man. Like the Jason Lock and Four report, uh, the Russ is not going to sign an extension. I'm like, well, duh. Who thought that? <laughs> yeah, that was like uh, that was uh, October 26th, I think. Uh, I just I just don't think that we got to read into any. I think the only thing that was noteworthy, honestly, of all this rest, rest speculation stuff um, was the um, Jordan Schultz report that he would wait. Russell Wavers, no trade clause for Denver. Um, the Giants, who's the third team? The Saints. The Saints? Yeah. yeah. Russ shot it down. Kind of. He said, I didn't say that. And was like, mm, you didn't say what? Right. I don't know. Uh, and then <laughs> Ian Rappaport confirmed Jordan's information three days later. And I think that kind of went unnoticed. I think that was the morning of the Houston game. So that is important. That means that if we have a new list of teams, those are the three, or three of you know however many teams are on there. So I, th I do think that was kind of the interesting reporting. The Schefter thing I don't read much into. But in terms of candidates, I had them written down. You know who I'm – I'm interested in – I'm definitely interested in the Chiefs, dude. Uh, I am. Enemy? No, is it – how do you say his name? The enemy? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested in him. Not so much Leftwich. Um, I do like I do like the idea of – I don't know. It's tough giving him that head coaching job first time. I would need to hear a little bit more from him. But Kellen Moore is an interesting one. Um, the Dallas OC, that would be an interesting one there. I don't really know about defensive-minded head coaches. I don't know if I would go there. Um, I think I mentioned some of these guys, excuse me, uh, drinking IPAs. Shout out to whatever this hazy joint is, putting it in the camera. <laughs> this is some good stuff. Um, yeah, I'm big on I'm big on some of those names, uh, I believe. I'm trying to think. You know, it's funny because in this question, I think it says, 
who would fit Russ's style of like that play action, whatever. Like, honestly, all of the coordinators he's had really do a lot of, I mean, Shane could do a little bit more on early downs, but for the most part, the offenses all look a variation of the same. Like Shane's offense doesn't look that different from Bevel's, which only looked a little different from Shotty's. Like I went back and watched some old games of each guy um, this past week just to really get a feel, because especially since I didn't cover Bevel but for one season and they couldn't run the ball that year. So I went back and looked at some old stuff and some shoddy stuff. I was like, a lot of these plays are even exactly the same. You can see them. So um, I don't think that these coordinators, if they make them head coaches, whether it's Bianami or Leftwich or who's the other one that's floating out there, like Dan Quinn, or um, I read a really good feature about the uh, Packers uh, OC. I think his name's like Hackett, Daniel Hackett or something maybe. Um, he was an interesting one. But I don't think any of those guys are going to come in and like have a revolutionary new offense necessarily because Russ has his strengths and his weaknesses. I really think it's going to be about how much Russ trusts that guy and does what he did in that sequence that I um, highlighted earlier, where it was quick game, quick game, go for it. You know, like, cause that wasn't nothing fancy, but it eliminated Russ holding the ball for one. It eliminated the need for the O-line to be great for two. Um, and they're moving fast, you know, just how, how Russ wants. And it's not like he needed world, uh, world, uh, world-class receivers. Those two players were to D Eskridge and Penny Hart two guys at the bottom of the receiver depth chart and they were able to get out of a hole. So I think that matters a little bit more than what the schemer comes in and does just because an offense led by Russ will only look, you know, so different year to year, you know, one head coach I've been thinking about and I've seen reports about him a few times is Brian DeBowl, the offensive coordinator oh, the for the Bills. Bills. Bills OC. Yeah. Yeah. He is someone, I mean, you look at what Josh Allen's doing. Sure. He's, he's up and down this season, but I think that would be an interesting pairing with him and Russell Wilson, I think that would be like, he's the head coach and you still have Shane. That would be interesting to see. Cause he's doing a, I'd say a decent job with the bills. I don't watch the bills every Sunday. I don't watch their games at all like that. So, but based on what I've read, I think that might be a potential candidate that maybe the Seahawks look at down the road. Maybe, maybe not, but that's just something that came to mind when you brought up. I like, I like that name too possible fits as a head coach coming in for the Seahawks. My, my, my scary thing with him is though, that they are not a good running team. That's uh, fair. If maybe uh, uh, they might be, I don't know. Let me see. Um, Oh damn. Never mind. Wait, they're third in EPA per play on, on runs. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading that wrong. Oh, well, give them a good old line. <laughs> Their old line is kind of decent too. Damn. Why did I think they were bad at running? Sorry. Go ahead. Cause they throw the ball a lot. <laughs> they do throw the ball a ton. And I think they're one of those teams that needed to, realize real quick hey they're trading us with these two high shells we better be able to run to beat teams i didn't think they were i'm checking some other numbers but you can go ahead and read the next question does this game put an end to the russ versus dk rift or do you see something there still yeah you know i don't think there was a all right chris i'm about to go on a little bit of a tangent if that's if that's okay um do your thing it won't be too long i promise um Actually, I don't promise that. Yeah, just just do your thing, man. <laughs> yeah, the Bills aren't that high in rushing DVOA. So that's a well, – maybe they are, maybe they are. I can't find it right now. But, okay, so two things. Oh, yeah, they're like average. The Bills are. So one thing with DK and Russ, I don't think it was ever a rift. I think we got to be really careful. And we mostly – I mean fans too, but mostly I mean media, whether you're calling the game or you're a writer, radio, TV, whatever. You got to be really careful – inferring what someone is thinking on the sideline 
or after a game or on the field. You just never really know unless you can text them or call their agent or a parent or whatever or hear from a teammate. I just think you got to be really careful with that. Um, you know, be careful how you describe how someone is feeling, you know. Um, excuse me. You just you just never know. I mean, sometimes it's obvious, like Antonio Brown today. But, like, we've seen even with this team, you know, with Sherm be mad about stuff or, like, um, you know, Bobby fired up or Doug Baldwin fired up or DK or Dwayne Brown or just whatever, you know. Just you got to just be careful um, with that. And I say that to say, like, DK is a very emotional guy. You know, he basically got himself thrown out of the Packers game if he weren't starting a fight, right, because they were down 17 nothing in the fourth, you know. And he had said that. He made it very clear. He's like, I was angry, so I, I, I got shit shaken. We didn't have to guess or speculate, right? Because, you know, he made it clear to us. And I think unless they do that, then or we can like clearly read their lips or whatever, I think we gotta be careful. DK gets really upset when the team loses, you know. And I know this as someone who has to ask him questions after they lose, and he don't answer anything I say. And I don't take it personal. Uh, I think one time he even came in on like a Thursday after uh, a game and was like, "Now I'm in a good mood now. You just be catching me after a loss." And I'm like, "Ah, okay." You know, and I feel him, you know, even today he wouldn't ask, you know, really wouldn't answer. I'm like 0 for 10 getting <laughs> answers out of DK. It's kind of funny. And I say all that to say, though, that I don't think there was ever any beef. I think DK was pissed. He'd be pissed out there. Yeah, he wants the ball. He wants the ball because he thinks him getting the ball is going to help them win. And when they lose, he's pissed. And I think a lot of guys are very similar. They just express it differently. I'd use Dwayne Brown as an example. Dwayne be hot out there. When Russ gets a sack, go find number 76. You can tell how pissed he'd be, whether he's pissed at himself or a teammate or Russ. We don't know. And I never write or say that definitively unless I can ask Dwayne, right? So I think be really careful doing that. And I think we in the media play a really big role in building those narratives. And I think we've done a disservice over the years to some of these players and had to, you know, correct ourselves or the players tweeted about it, you know, or whatever it may be. I think the Trey Flowers after the Vikings game was a really good example, man the way some of his tweets, not his tweets, the way some of his quotes got put out there after the game and out of context stuff or, you know, I thought that was really unfair to Trey, you know, and even Bobby called us out for it a few days later, you know, and that's the same thing with, um, this is a long way to way of saying, I don't think there is a rift between the two of them. I think the other part is though, that, you know, even with Russ, you know, how he, it got reported that he volunteered the information that he didn't want this to be his last game in Seattle. And it was like, well, no, he didn't volunteer that information. You know, the question he was asked was prefaced by, hey, Bobby was up here yesterday talking about changes to the future. What changes do you want to see? And then Russ heard that. And within his answer was like, well, you guys asked Bobby. He said it. Russ was like, you guys asked Bobby about his last game or whatever. I hope this is not my last game. That's not called volunteering the information. He had a prompt. He was given a prompt. And even then later in that same press conference, he clarifies and says, yo, I was replying to what you guys asked Bobby. That's why I said, the hope it's not my last game thing. Like he said in that same Zoom call, and it's like, ah, Rush has brought it up out the blue. You know, he's creating this thing. Irresponsible stuff. It builds a narrative, right? And I don't, I, you got to stop doing that. Whether it's where a player's upset about something specific, you can just say a guy's upset. You don't have to say what he's upset about, you know, yeah. or infer any other things based on a sideline tantrum. Or, or whatever, you know. So I just think we got to be more careful with that. We, whether I said the broadcasters on TV or the TV people, you know, locally or radio or the writers or whoever, I think we all just got to be really careful 
when we do that and when we live tweet stuff or write stuff it's nice to include the question you know include the full response tweet out the full response if you want to tweet out the full clip with the question i think all that stuff uh really matters because i think whoever asked that question is not like wrong to think that there was a rift because it got portrayed that way and it shouldn't have um because we don't have enough information to suggest that there actually is a beef between those two for all we know dk is just pissed that they're losing and well think, summarized yeah not getting the ball teams losing it happens. Let's go to another player. Let's look at Rashad Penny. We got a few questions about Ooh, the Penny. We a lot of Penny questions. Is this the Rashad Penny fans were expecting before injuries? A lot of talks on how Adrian Peterson has unlocked him. Any idea on how that? And last part, do you think he just needed the RB1 role and confidence? Uh, okay, there is a lot there. Short version of the back half of that, he definitely needed the running back one role. And we talked about that on the show, probably in the preseason, I think, that this whole come in and just hit home runs was never going to be Rashad's thing. He needs to be worked into He was the a starter. <laughs> now, and I, and I, I mean, this game was probably not the best example because he like had, I don't know, what, 80 yards on like his first eight carries. So he clearly can come in and get hot. But I just think that like randomly throwing him in in like the second quarter after Chris Carson's already had nine carries or something like that, it's just not the way to do that. So. I never thought that, you know, so yes, I do think he needed to just be the guy for a little bit. Excuse me. The other part of that. So I'm, I'm going to be the Debbie Downer here. I'm sorry. I really don't like the Adrian Peterson came in and now Rashad Penny runs better type of thing. Not to say that's not true. Rashad has said it out his mouth. Who am I telling him? Like, that's true. Sounds like according to Rashad, when AP showed up, you know, he saw his work ethic. He taught, he picked his brain because he's also blown his knee out. Um, and he picked up some stuff and he's been better for it. That's fine. But I think we're attributing, or maybe we're not attributing too much. I just think the idea that like this 50 year old running back, even though he's really great, comes in Call here 50. and you in and year four, you, this is when you kind of pick your game up in week like 14 or whatever. I'm just, I just don't like. If that is the case, I don't think that's the good look that we're writing about this to be. You know, I just I think it's kind of interesting, but I don't necessarily think it's like, wow, this is like Hollywood script type stuff. Adrian Peterson comes in and then this first round pick who's had all these injuries just figures it out. I was like, man, I don't know, man. You shouldn't need Adrian showing up in week 14 to, to figure it out in the fourth year of, of your career. That's just maybe that's just me. Um, I think that honestly, the thing that feels like it really had the impact on Rashad was he said he said it twice now. He said Chris Carson would tell him, make the first hit. Like, don't wait till they hit you. Lower your shoulder and you hit them. They're not gonna want to tackle you no more. And he said Chris would tell him that every day. And he finally started listening. And he said after I think it was the Houston game or whatever game it was, he was like, you know, sometimes I forget that I'm 230 pounds. You know, and then when he remembered that, he started running harder like he did against the Rams. I think that was the Rams and the rematch. That is, I think that is, I mean, they shouldn't take you four years to realize how much you weigh either. But I do think, <laughs> seriously, like these are, these are, and this, I'm not trying to fault Rashad. These are his honest. He's being very honest with us about what's going through his mind and kind of why his career hasn't gone the way he wanted to. That's fine. I just don't think that that's like good that it took those specific things like, you know, 
that's a long time as a first round pick to really realize who you are as a player. And it's not like he came in like Rasheem Green or like Earl Thomas when they get drafted, they were like 20 years old. So they really didn't know their body quite yet. I don't know. I just don't think that that's it's true and it's interesting, but I don't necessarily think that that's like that good of a thing. I think it's more concerning that it took that long. You know what I mean? Like I hate to be the Debbie Downer there, but dude, you're in year four in the NFL. You've been in the league for four years, you know? So I just think, yeah, I just, I just don't like how that is coming off necessarily, but I do think Rashad's killing it, man. Aside from all that, it is really good to see Rashad killing it. I do think people have asked me, uh, whether he's ran himself into a new contract, I think so. I think this is all. You want to talk about one or two games making a difference? Pete Carroll is seeing these last few games and is like, sign me up for more years. of. I can, oh, my God. I would almost guarantee that if Rashad goes over 100 yards again against the Cardinals, he will have a contract in his locker or on the in his seat on the airplane back home because that's how much Pete Carroll has been waiting, waiting, waiting for Rashad to run like this. Rashad, hold on. Can I look this up? Do I got time to look this up? Yep. Rashad, since week 14, which I think is the Houston game, um, since week 14, let me go to these rushing numbers. 71, 389? I think he's in the 400s. Oh, after I'm, today's game, probably, most definitely. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at – I got the numbers updated with today's game too. I'm pretty sure Rashad's been like the best back in football since, <laughs> since like week 14. Oh, let me look this up real quick. Real fast. All right, here we go. From week 14 to what was today? Week 17? Yeah. Rashad Penny, 69 carries. Nice. 481 <laughs> yards, averaging 6.9 yards a pop. Good Lord. Uh, that 481 leads the league mm. um, in that span. And he's got five rushing touchdowns, which is tied for a dude on the Patriots named Damian Harris. Who's going crazy as well. Yeah, five touchdowns in that same span. But, like, Come on, man. That is absurd. He's he's legitimately been like the and he's like uh for my advanced people, I think Rashad's like third in like EPA um uh rushing on the ground or something like that in that span. He's legitimately been like one of the best backs in football in the over the past like month or so. That is absurd. That I think is enough for Pete. If Pete stays to be like, let's bring that dude back. I do think that. Probably on a very similar deal to whatever Carlos Hyde got at the time. It was like one year, 2.5 or something like that. Same thing they offered like Devontae Freeman, I think, that he turned down. Um, yeah, I think Rashad coming back and kind of one of those one-year prove-it things, kind of very similar to what Ethan Posick just got last year. I think that was one in four mil maybe. Uh, but I'd probably do less than that. So, yeah, I think the AP thing is like kind of cool, but like we got to be careful like playing that up, I think. Um, but – yeah, Rashad's ran his way to a new contract in Pete's eyes. You ask me what Mike would do? I don't know about all that. But Pete, <laughs> oh, I guarantee you, Pete is like, can't contain himself. He's probably getting noise complaints from his neighbors when he rewatches some of these Rashad Penny runs in the middle of the night. Good for Penny. He's healthy. Chris Carson's not starting because he's banged up. This is what happens. Seahawks drafted him to be the starter. Excuse me. But Chris Carson was playing well and was staying healthy Great. so you only got you only got to see carson and you know certain situations third down screen plays maybe second down if carson's tired after he just ran through for 30 plus yards ran through a couple of guys but now you're getting to see a healthy penny and he's showing that he is worth it and going to the next question mike would you be willing to let go of carson due to his injury record 
give Penny a new deal, a few years, and then maybe look to draft or get a free agent second back to have a dual threat. Okay. This is gonna. I need to make sure I'm very clear on the in the hats that I'm wearing when I answer this question, because <laughs> I like Rashad. I actually had a really big feature ready on him his rookie year, um, and then he got hurt. Um, I still have a lot of those notes. It was actually going to be really good. Maybe I'll still write it. But uh, I like Rashad. I'm recovering his brother Elijah in Idaho. It was great. I actually like Chris too, man. Chris really good dude. Thank you, man. <laughs> uh chris carson i mean of course hey i know i get you uh but i i do think all right that's me mike all right cool that's me mike the writer mike the gm i ain't paying nobody (laughs) no running back i wouldn't give chris that deal i ain't reshawn and rashad i might even get rid of dj dallas this episode is brought to you by allstate allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. I'm going to go and draft a bunch of new, or I'm going to find a bunch of undrafted dudes. Because remember, this class of, uh, draftees in particular, it's going to be much bigger than normal classes because a lot of guys got to come back to school without losing a year this past college season. So instead of like, you know, 1600 draft eligible guys or whatever, there might be like 2200, which will mean a lot more talent um, in theory and a lot more depth. So I would probably, maybe I, I'd, I'd probably keep Chris, you know, on the deal he's on. I have to see how his neck recovers. But yeah, I draft a running back. I'd probably sign one in free agency. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would revamp the whole room probably because I'm just not paying these big deals for anybody, to be honest. You know, unless you're – honestly, I don't know, man. I've said on this show a million times, I'd draft a guy, run him into the ground. <laughs> this sounds so bad. I would draft a guy, run him into the ground, and draft the next dude from Bama, man. It's like, you, sure you sure your last name's not Jones? You're gonna, you know, you're going to treat him like my guy – what they did to uh, what's his name? Murray ran him to the Marco ground. Murray, yeah, they man. Marco Murray, five hundred carries a year. He won the rushing title, and they shipped his ass off and never signed him. And he went to I think Tennessee or something like that, and had a good year, I think. But yeah, mm-hmm. I would probably do that all the time. You know, I wouldn't give Zeke that deal. Kamara, McCaffrey, Dalvin, Joe Mixon. I wouldn't have paid none of those guys. Um, that remember that's Mike the GM talking. That's just the business. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have done any of that. So. No, I probably wouldn't resign any of the guys they have. And I'd probably get rid of some guys. I would just change the whole room, to be honest. New year, new Mike. Get a bunch of young dudes, spend a bunch of money up front, and then it won't matter who our backs is for the most part. Yeah, that's a tough one because they both have had injury problems. So I would definitely definitely lean on keeping both of them and then drafting another guy. That's what I would end up doing. And maybe just cutting a player or two. Because I I do like what Carson brings his physicality. I do like Rashad Penny. The one-two punch is kind of what Pete wanted, but unfortunately guys don't stay healthy. So that never really panned out, and you really just run one guy into the ground. Then he gets hurt, and I rely on another guy. Kind of had that situation this season, but Penny's actually healthy now these past, what, four or five games, and you're seeing his progress and what he's able to do with this offense. 
But that being said, I, I would definitely try to keep Carson and Penny, draft a guy, maybe cut one or two guys, and keep those two guys, and then draft some young stud and have him come in here and join the gang. And hopefully, yeah, draft a dude. I'll start Josh Johnson next year. I'm sorry, man. I just don't think from a business. Look at the guys who have gotten these contracts. Look at who Minnesota no, has to start. Look at who. Um, Cleveland has had to start. They paid Kareem and Nick Chubb, and they've had to start dudes off the scrap heap. The Titans, look at the the McCaffrey was healthy his whole rookie deal. He gets an extension. Chuba Hubbard starting more games than him, you know, or Chubb, however you say his name. You guys get my point. It's just, it yeah. just doesn't work. It it's just tough. You know, Zeke, Zeke gets his deal. Tony Pollard's just as good, you know, behind the same O line. So I just think that there's so many examples of it backfiring that I would just go to the extreme and just draft the next guy from Bama or Wisconsin every year. That's it. <laughs> and you're dead ass. That's the best No, I'm, part. Not even, I'm not joking. That's like not a joke. I just going to be like, oh, let me see that draft class. Let's start with Alabama. Okay. Ooh, okay. I'll go with Alabama, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and, <laughs> and just repeat Clemson maybe. Don't matter. Let's look at the entire team with some players here. $25.7 million left over. From what? Salary cap increased twenty five point seven, and oh, the Hawks salary have, cap's going to be like two hundred eight million or something like that. And the Hawks have some left over for this season. Mm-hmm. So who's back next year? Yes or no on these guys: Brown, Diggs, Penny, mm-hmm. Wag. Well, my notepad Did, here. Oh, hang on, I'll, I'll start over again. So we got Trey, or not Trey Brown, Dwayne Brown. That is. So yes or is just yes or no's on these? Yes or no? Are they back? Uh, seventy six. Uh. No. Diggs. Six. Mm, that's tough. No, if it's a if 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 he if it's a new deal. Y- yes, if he gets tagged. I do think he's a tag candidate. What if Russ leaves? I'm just throwing that in there. I don't think that one matters. I don't think that one matters. Rashad Penny. Yes. If Pete's there. Bobby Wag. Uh, you know, I haven't got anything definitive on that. I checked in on Bobby's knee for what it's worth. Uh, I, so far, I've heard that he's going to be okay. Um, but with a $20 million cap hit, I would say mm, if Pete's gone, no. I think that a new regime would come in and want to say, hey, we're going to restructure this deal. Kind of like Carlos Dunlap this last offseason, like, hey, we're going to cut you and then sign you to something a little better for us. And I don't know how Bobby would respond to that. That would kind of be insulting if to him, perhaps. I'm projecting he hasn't told me this, but um, that, would, that would be tough, man, to make eight straight Pro Bowls, to be like Mr. Iron Man, captain of the defense for so long, negotiate your own deals, continue to perform at a high level for years and years and years, and they come in and try to get you an extra pay cut. That's tough. Um, so my guess is if if a new regime comes in, no, because that could be an ugly negotiation. All right, who else we got? Will Dis, eighty nine. Uh, he has a heel bruise. As long as that's not like a like quietly like an Achilles or something like that, I, I'd say Will's back. DJ Reed. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say yeah to Reed. Yeah and to your Reed. favorite, drum roll. <laughs> Myers. Jason Myers? Correct. Is he up for a new deal? Well, let's just look it up. Uh, I, 
if Pete's here, probably, I guess. <laughs> you, yeah. you say if Pete's here, I, you know, sure. I know he he really has the most confidence in Jason. That's probably fine, but he was not. After the 22 season, after the 2022 season, he is a unrestricted free agent in 2023. So he is under contract until next year. So technically, he will be able to team. Oh, he's got a five million dollar cap hit. No, I think. Oh, you say four million though? You cut him. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd say yeah. I'd say yeah on JMI. All right. I and that's all of them. I will say no on Brown, no on Diggs, yes on Penny, yes on Wagner, yes on Dishley, yes on Reed, yes on Myers. All right, so we're kind of on the same. We're kind of on the same page with those for the most part. Hopefully, everything goes well in the offseason, right? Uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Let's go with some more off-season thoughts here. Is center one of the biggest positions to fill? Yeah, man. Ooh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but, man, I think that uh, I really hope that people don't. There are a lot of people who wanted Creed Humphrey in real time. Like, that is not a, oh, look, D got hurt, and then Creed went on to be one of the best linemen in the league, hindsight type of view. No, no, no. There were people, I think us included, at least I know I mocked, I mocked in one of my mock drafts, I had them taking Creed Humphrey. Um, there are a lot of people who on draft day were like, yo, take Creed, take Creed, take him, take him. I forget what school he went to, Oklahoma maybe? Um, or was it the Landon Dickerson kid? Either way, there was a lot of people who were like, take Oklahoma him. sooner. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, okay. It was like, take Humphrey, we need a center. They were actually kind of happy, like, if you think of it, like in the offseason, there wasn't that much beef of, 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 on the O line aside from that position. It was Dwayne's cool. Damian Lewis is a hit. Gabe Jackson traded for him. That was cool. Shell was fine in 2020. So bring him back to keep him healthy. Um, it was just let's find a new center instead of Posick. And they drafted D, didn't take Creed. Now Creed's one of the best centers in football. Um, so I think you can't make that mistake again. You have to invest in the position. I know one of my one of my free agent things I had them signing that Corey Lindsley dude um, on a deal that would have had his cap hit on like four and a half million this year or something like that, and then ballooning this year with the salary cap going up. So yes, you gotta look, man. Look, you gotta fix that position. It's one of the more important ones up front. I would say it probably goes left tackle, right tackle, center. You could probably go left tackle, center, right tackle, and then the two guard spots. Like center is really important and. If you don't think so, go look in the middle of the line on every third down, and you'll be like, "Huh, we need to get Russ some help there." Or whoever the quarterback is, doesn't matter if it's if it's Russ. But yes, that is definitely one of the they should they should consider themselves in the need for three starters up front, a left tackle, a right tackle, and a center, which sucks because that's going to be really expensive, really expensive. Do you think the Seahawks will spend money this offseason on big-time free agents? Because the Seahawks hardly ever do. If they have their um, the same front office, no. I don't think this will get them to change. Um, excuse me. Just because I just think they're kind of lazy. with the, Not lazy. Sorry. Bad word. I just think that that's just not their bag, and they're never going to change on that. And you know what? To some extent, paying big money in free agency usually means overspending on a above average player you know and that happens but sometimes you have to do that if your team stinks right and then sometimes that happens i think the patriots this last year are probably the best example the patriots usually don't go out here and break the bank for dudes like that when belichick's running the show you know what cam newton was throwing the scrubs all 2020 so belichick was like you know what we're gonna do we're gonna get some guys 
here's Kendrick Bourne, here's John Smith, here's Hunter Henry. They paid someone else, like Aguilar or something like that. Like they were like, look, we ain't gonna run back Jacoby Myers as wide receiver one and to kill Harry and stuff. We ain't gonna do that, right? And I do think that you can make the argument Seattle needs to do the same, something very similar. Um, but I just don't think that that's in Pete and John's type of mindset. They'd rather make some trades, try to hit. They got six draft picks, you know, maybe try to land some more, hit on some depth pieces, rely on some of the dudes they already have in the contract. Um, you know, Phil Haynes type cats. I don't know. Jake Curran, rookie deal type of guys. I think that would be their thing. I don't think you're going to see them make a splash unless they trade Russ and need a quarterback. That is where I think the change would be. The, maybe there's an exception if there's a left tackle on the market. I haven't checked the left tackle market um, to know for sure if there's going to be any notable guys uh, out there that would be available. But yeah, I just don't see them spending money again. I don't think this regime is going to just flip that switch even after a, either a 6-11 and 11 season or a 7-10 and 10 season. I just don't think that's in their mindset. There's been a few former Hawks players, Marshawn and Cam Chancellor, openly stating they'd like to come work with the Hawks next season. Seeing the impact AP has had in the running back room, you think we see any of them on the coaching staff? Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about this. Um, and uh, shout out to the dude at uh, Hawk Blogger. I forget his name. He's like Brian something. He had a good thread uh, about kind of reading the tea leaves on all of the the hubbub about the future. I don't. I I wouldn't take it the step he did. And, and he, I, I maybe I can tweet his thread or something like that. But I don't think that the endorsements are as strong as people think in terms of Pete's favor from the former players. I think like Cam Cam Chancellor's tweet in particular just seemed like he seemed to be just like us watching, you know, us. And I mean, like people from Seattle who are Seahawks fans, like the us, meaning you guys, mostly that people who are live here are Seahawks fans watching TV and be like, what the hell is going on? Cam just happens to be able to just tweet that and say, hey, I want to talk to Jody. Right. That's fine. Uh, but I don't think that that was like a endorsement of like Pete or saying like Cam wants to work for the team or be an advisor. I don't know. I think that really he would want to sit Jody down like, bro, what's going on? Are we, what's up? You know? And that's a good start. (laughs) Yeah. Like what's going on? Like what's, what's happening? What, this is not the franchise that I know and love. That's probably what he would say. Um, And then Marshawn's thing on the Josina show seemed to be very obvious. Marshawn's like, yo, can I get on the ownership group? Cause that's a bag right there. You know, cause Marshawn's a really good businessman. Probably one of the best ones the Seahawks have had in a very long time. Uh, maybe ever. Uh, so I don't, I didn't read too much into the idea of like those guys want to be on the staff or something like that. And, and I think the, the Hawk blogger thread, which was really good. Um, I just think that there were, I think the inferences of who people were inferring, who was supporting who and why they were saying it. I don't, I don't feel as strongly about some of those, not necessarily. I disagree with them. Uh, like I do think Cam would probably ride for Pete if he had to choose and maybe Marshawn would too. And Matt Hasselbeck would, two perhaps um but I don't, I don't know how much new information that brings us i don't know how instructive that is about the future i don't i don't even know if jody views what's about to happen as a do i choose pete or choose rust thing like i said earlier in the show you gotta sit rust down first and go hey rust do you trust pete because the answer is no then you have a civil war there but I don't even think that the outside voices matter 
that much in that regard because that's where I think Doug's kind of public statement was the most important that it was like the whole organization needs selflessness and accountability. It's not just Russ. It's not just Pete. It's not just John. It's everybody in the goddamn building. Cause I think it's more of like, uh, I almost tweeted this too saying Richard Sherman was right. Um, but then I'd have to explain it. I don't really feel like it. So I'm here. And I do think that when Sherman was saying that they lost their way, maybe that was a strong, too strong at the time, but his sentiment was right. And even the Wickersham article in ESPN in 2017 was essentially like, yo, this, the, this whole always compete thing is not happening with everybody. And it's a problem with the guy at the top and the quarterback and a few people in between. And so I think even if, if, if all those guys, Hasselbeck, Cam, um, Marshawn, whoever else has come out, and, and if you infer that they're in favor of Pete or whoever over Russ, I don't even think it's that deep. I do think that, if anything, Doug's thing was most important. Jody should just call Doug and no one else and be like, hey, what do we do, Doug? How do we hold these guys more accountable? Um, and maybe that leads to them getting rid of everybody. <laughs> may not be the best thing. I'm not sure. But I think it's not about – it's not quite yet a full-on civil war um, in the building where you have to, like, round up all the people who are Team Russ and then round up all the people who are Team Pete and then have them meet in the parking lot and fight. I don't think you got to do that. That'd be fun. My money's on whatever Team Marshawn's on for what it's worth. But – I don't think it's 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 at that point quite yet. Even if it was, I don't think that those voices should sway her one way or the other. It really is quarterback's the most important position on the field. You start with him and you work backwards. I think everything else is just noise. Why does so much of the press discussion of the Seahawks offseason fail to mention Russell Wilson no trade clause? With two years on his deal, it gives him a ton of leverage. Yeah, and you know, I think we should make the title of this um this podcast today. Uh, Russ's final home game in Seattle with like a question mark or something along those lines, just because I really don't, if I don't think there's too much to read into some of Russ's press conferences after games or during the week, because he's so politically correct. He's a walking press release, right? So he's very rarely going to like goof up and say something bad or definitive or whatever you want or something spicy. What he doesn't say sometimes is relevant though. And I think after the game today was very important. Russ keeps saying, you know, asked about like whether he wants to be here. He keeps saying, I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. And that's, that's fine for everybody else on the team, but they don't have no trade clauses. Russ does. Russ doesn't have to hope. Russ doesn't have to hope that he stays here. They can't get rid of you. I guess in theory, they could cut him, I guess, but they're not, I mean, come on, they're not stupid. They're going to cut Russ. Right. So you'd have to trade him to get rid of him. So it's like, they can't trade you unless you say so. So you don't have to hope anything. You don't have to wish anything. And that's why I mentioned that to him after the press conference. The last question of the press conference, you guys want to go hear it after the game on Sunday. I was like, you control the situation. So do you expect to be back? I'm basically asking, are you going to request a trade? I didn't want to word it that way. And again, he said, I hope so. And then I was just the end of the presser. And I was like, I was, I was in the elevator going back to my seat like, Am I asking the I was the homie was in the elevator with me. I'm like, am I asking the wrong question? Am I am I reading this wrong? Because he controls his fate. And I wrote that today too. He doesn't have to hope. So the fact that he keeps leaving it op- open for interpretation like that, I think is the most notable thing that's happened all year. If you're trying to just isolate Russ's words. You know, I really think it's the fact that the one guy who doesn't have to hope keeps saying he hopes. What you hoping for? Say, hey, I don't want to trade. I want to be here. 
you know, I damn that trade stuff. I'm a Seahawk for life. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> He'd be like, okay, <laughs> that's it. This is only a thing because of this kind of open-ended answers he's kind of given. So um, I think we got a question about like, do I think Russ stays or does Russ want to stay? I don't know. I can't read the man's mind, but I do think that, you know, to kind of jump ahead, those questions, the fact that he won't say definitively is noteworthy. Bro, just say it. Stop saying you hope you'll be here for 20 years or whatever. <laughs> they can't trade you unless you say trade me. <laughs> you know, so and these these leaks and these things would not be like remember, he didn't leak like through some back channels the trade list. His agent told that to uh, Adam freaking Schefter. That's about as on the record as you're gonna get. Um, so he's clearly thought about it. You know, he narrowed it down to four that got that got some thought. So uh, I, I just think of all the things that have happened with Russ and we're trying to guess whether he wants to stay or what he wants him not definitively saying that he's not going nowhere, something he controls. That's as noteworthy as we're going to get from this guy on the record. I think. Any initial thoughts on Cody Barton's play with Wagner potentially leaving his development seems important. Yeah. You know, I asked Cody about does he does he think he should be did, does he expect to be a starter in year three or did he expect that and he was like yeah but you know I'm not and it's okay it was like training camp I think I thought that was really important man like Cody was what the 88th pick in the 2019 draft like that's that's a high enough pick that we should expect something out of you I think Damian Lewis was up there around there uh, you know Frank Clark was in the 60s I think Tyler might have been as well. DK was in the 60s. Shaq was in the 90s. I think like these are that's basically what I'm saying is that's top 100. I want a starter at you out of you. And so to not get that is is pretty upsetting. I'm pretty sure it's upsetting for Cody as well. I don't know how Cody played. I think for the most part, I think Cody and Jordan, I think Jordan right now is a better player, but I think they're both pretty similar in that one thing they can do is run and hit. Like, that was probably pretty evident from the jump, you know, and even the games that Cody's played in before, he can run and hit. That's why he's so good on special teams. He can run and he can hit. He's strong and he likes violence, you know, and that's fine. But I do think that in today's game, there's so much pressure on underneath coverage. You know, today, one play that stood out for actually two plays, one for Jordan, one in for Cody. Uh, One for Cody was like he was supposed to carry the Amon Ra dude um, up the over route or whatever it was. He's supposed to turn and run off a of play action. He didn't. He ran too late. Dude's wide open for like 20-something yards, something like that. You know, it's a play you have to make in this league to be a linebacker. You can't just run and hit. You got covered. And then I think Jordan is who gave up the touchdown to Amon Ra or whatever. He just runs right into Jordan at the top of the route in the end and zone. breaks outside, yeah. Yeah, it's wide open, you know, on like third down or something like that. It's like that's the play. Linebackers have to make those type of plays now. You can't just run and hit. Because it doesn't matter if you tackle for loss on first down and then tackle for no gain on second down if you give up a 13-yard pass on third and 10, <laughs> right? This doesn't matter. You can run and hit all you want. You're going to be on the field forever, which has pretty much been Seahawks' defense this year. So uh, I think I have to rewatch the game to really know something on Cody, but that stands out with both of them and all the linebackers they've had. They can all run and hit, but there's, there's more to that, and I think that that's where Bobby has been uh, – head and shoulders above a lot of these guys for over years and years and years and KJ as well. So um, I think I said this on the last pod, maybe two pods ago, if they were to 
get rid of Bobby in favor of starting Cody, I think that's really dangerous. And I don't think I would do that. Actually, gave, I, I know I would not do that, actually. You gave examples as to why you wouldn't. They yeah, gave up touchdowns. Think, yeah, you know. And that was Jordan <laughs> it's take, was it's great that, you know, for example, the defense as a whole has been playing pretty good, right? Yeah, they don't yeah. give up no points. Today, they decided to give up a lot of points. We get it. There's injuries. Everybody's banged up. But they get really sticky in the goal line situation. It's really hard to score on the Seahawks in the red zone. They can march 99 yards. If they don't score a touchdown and they get three, not bad. All right? And the Seahawks have been doing that pretty much throughout the season. They don't give up touchdowns a lot. They've been pretty good at they're going to give up yards, but when they get to the red zone, you're not getting in the end zone. A lot of yards. <laughs> a lot of yards. <laughs> and back to Cody Barton's play. I thought he was, you mentioned that he was flying around and hitting folks. That's what he's good at. But he still needs to develop being more than that, being a guy that can, oh, I know this ball is going here. This is where I need to be to make a play, pass deflection, right. or just making a big play and knocking some guy's helmet off. And he did have a PB today, right? Did he have a pass breakup? I be, uh I don't remember off top. I don't I think, remember. I think he did. Like he was a, I think it's, it's route recognition, like you said, like recognizing this is coming, you know. And that's going to come with it. For Jordan, too. I think it has some of it, too. And he, Jordan's getting better at it. Like, look at the screens, for example. Like, yeah. He struggled with it the first few weeks. Now he's just like, bam, he's there. He knows. He's realizing, oh, something's opening up. Screen's coming. Let me go attack it. And that's going to come with repetitions. Unfortunately, he's, with Cody Barton, that is, he's been playing behind an elite linebacker. So he was never going to get that opportunity unless he was a better than Bobby and B Bobby go, or B Bobby goes down with injury. And that's what we saw. And maybe Bobby sits out in the final week. That is another opportunity for Cody to show. Yeah. I that can be definitely. the next guy, especially the Seahawks are like, damn, do we really want to pay Bobby this much money? Cause those conversations are being had. Bobby with his post, not po his presser talking about, Hey, I understand if I'm not here next year, it's a possibility, but I'm in the now. I'm playing for the guys next to me, X, right. Y, and Z. That's where they're at with it. So I'll, I'll go back and look at Cody and see what he did really well, see what he needs to work on. It'll be interesting to watch the fall 22 when I get it. What actually clicked for the offensive line to destroy the Lions? Or are they just that bad? Uh, Yeah, I think the Lions are just bad. You know, you know quietly. I think the old line's been playing really well since about the Niner game. I want to say they've been, they've been holding up. I thought they were good against Houston. Um, I thought they were pretty good against the Rams. Uh, I thought Kurt, that Jake Curran in particular had some good um, reps. Um, he he had one where he got beat pretty bad on the deep ball. They ended up going to Gerald Everett. But um, the run blocking has been good for like you know a, a month and some change now, pretty much. Uh, Pass protection is kind of holding up. You know, Aaron Donald's going to get his. That's just how that happens. But uh, I, I think they've had some good ones. The Curran's kind of been a little shaky here and there. Like, he gave up the pressure on fourth down last week against the Bears that ended the game. So he'll, he'll, you, you kind of expect those from an undrafted rookie. But, yeah, I think I have to go look how it grades out. They've been they've been pretty good for about a month now. I mean, all phases. And I think that, uh, like, even after one game, Russ was like, the O-line ain't the issue, you know. And you'll go look at the Rams game in particular. He had time on some of them throws and just missed them. So, you know, I think that whereas last year the O-line got worse after the bye week pretty much, this time it got worse after about week 10. Uh, they've gotten better since about week 11, 
maybe. Yeah, I think I think they've held up really well. Like this would be the year that if you're like, all right, Shell was good. We think Dwayne's got it. We like Damian. We like Gabe. We just need a new center. I don't think I would do that. I would probably try to find some more high-end guys. Uh, but the protection has not been the issue since, I don't know, what, the Packers game maybe? So I think that's that's been an encouraging sign uh, so far. It's just a matter of can Russ play along with those guys. So I don't think they did anything new. They just – Detroit sucks, and these guys are kind of in a groove up front and kind of have been for a few weeks. All right, and our last one. Oh, I just lost it. That was funny. <laughs> Let's try that again. Oh, I really lost it. Oh, man. Let me see. Oh, here it is. Ultimately, this shouldn't affect changes to be made, but wondering how fast we will see change once the Arizona game is over. Um, That's a good question. Very quickly, I would think as soon as they land back home, <laughs> I, no, I'm serious. I think you got to have those. Like, I mean, especially if they let's just say they just get. I mean, I, I said earlier that one game won't matter, but they get wrecked out there for sure. It's like as soon as you land, like, all right, my office now, uh, Jody to Pete and John and everybody. But I think if you're Russell, um, I don't know if his, I don't know who if his agent is coming out um, to Seattle. He probably should though. Like, I think he should be in that conversation when Jody sits down and talks with Pete, or excuse me, talks with Russ. It should be a collaborative effort like hey mark russell what do you guys want what do you mm. what do you guys want um i think that should happen monday morning honestly after the arizona game i really should there's no reason to delay that right because so much of everything that happens after that you know like do you fire pete right after that convo do you you know what do you do you fire john do you, you know do you tell everybody hey we're about to trade russ i don't know what you do so uh it should if there's going to be change it should happen monday morning hell maybe sunday night you know, if, depending on if Russ wants to have the talk or whatever. So I think, um, yeah, that, that has to happen relatively quickly. Um, we have one about we have one about uh, Jody and the money, right? Dead money. Yes. I want to close on that. Can we close on that? I missed that one. Yep. Yeah. So that one was. Um, it was like, why would Jody pay Pete and John's money uh, after firing them? That's what that one was, right? Correct. We talked about that off wax. Yes. Yes. Because I thought that was a fair question because I don't know how much John makes. I'm assuming he's probably one of the highest paid GMs in the league. Uh, Pete, I believe, was one of the highest paid coaches, probably think second to Belichick, maybe. And that's a lot of money if you were to fire both of them or one of them. You have to pay them if they're not working for you, which people don't like to do. Two things about that. Fair. (laughs) Uh, One, Jody's a billionaire. Don't think that matters that much. Does it matter? Sure. That much? Like, ah, I got to keep Pete. I can't afford to pay him. Yes, you can. That's not going to be the reason that they, it's make or break, in my opinion. Uh, it matters, but not to the extent that it would be whether you make the decision based off that. Same thing with John. The other thing, the second thing I would say about that is I'm very curious on how that would work contractually. Let's say you do get rid of John or Pete, and then they get new jobs. Right? Do they have language in their contracts? They'll say, all right, you fired Pete, then he gets picked up by the Broncos, right? Because they fired Vic Fangio or whatever. Um, and they're like, all right, here, here, Pete, here's $8 million a year to be the coach of the Broncos. Does he have offset language in that, like, how much the Seahawks owe him dramatically decreases now based on what he's making? You know, I know what I mean. Like, it, 
I don't know if that's the case with his contract or John's deal, but that would definitely change the math on that, though, right? It would be um, be way, way different. It'd be like, instead of having to pay him, what is it, like $12 million a year, Pete, that is, for four years or whatever, maybe only paying him like a fraction of that because the Broncos or the Jets or the Giants or somebody is paying him, or the Jaguars, whatever, watch the football team, who knows. Um, but there's no guarantee that Pete would even get a new job. But you guys get my point. That's why I wanted to end on that because I do think the money part is relevant even if I don't think that Jody would make or, make or break a decision based on that part, you just one of those things you factor in. But there's so many things we don't know about how those contracts are structured too um, and what would happen if they do get let go. So there's a lot to consider there. That's why I wanted to end, end on that. I would say this, though. I think we mentioned this on a previous pod. I highly doubt that she would get rid of both of them in the same offseason. I think she would want someone in the building that she can trust on the football side of things. Because even though she's like – really intent and really caring about what's going on, according to Pete, starting from scratch, you know, basically her and that Burt dude, I don't see her doing that. Burt Cold, however you say his name. I don't think she's doing that. She's going to keep at least one of them if she was to get rid of someone because just to have someone she trusts to rebuild this thing. There it is. Another mailbag after a Seahawk dub. I like how that sounds. Oh, actually, it's our first one because they lost against the Bears. Yeah, last this Sunday, is our first so. time doing it after after yeah, a win. Yeah, this is well, since problem. you ran out of stuff to actually talk about with the game because it's the same thing we've always talked about. They just improved on it this week. Good job on third down, guys. Running the football, controlled the live scrimmage, gave DK the ball. D. Eskridge running wild on screen on reverses. Look at that. Ty Lockett over the shoulder catches. You love to see it. We want to thank you guys for tapping in for another episode of Seahawks Man to Man. We thank you for, for all your Twitter questions. Damn, it's already 2022. Where yeah, does time cool. go? Yeah, we appreciate you guys. Uh, we'll be. I don't know our cadence for the off season. Probably at least try to do. Check your email, man. They literally. You... Oh, they did. They sent. The... My bad, you guys. Damn. It. <laughs> uh, we we. I don't know if we'll do every week during the off season. No, we we won't. We won't. Yeah, we'll okay. We'll we will definitely have one for you guys next week. And then I'll we'll we'll wrap about it and we'll give you guys at least two a month at the min at, at okay. minimum two a month at minimum. Uh, and then in August it's it's go time, baby, which is crazy. We're already scheduling for August and yeah, and we we'll just, do the draft and stuff too, free agency. We'll have some stuff in there. But yeah, but oh yeah. Got guests coming. We got a bunch, we, we got some stuff yeah, coming. So stuff too, yeah. So fasten your seatbelts. Yeah, this no, this is gonna be a wild one. January we might do one every week because it might get crazy. That's why I was it yes. In the email it states if things go crazy, go for it. Oh damn. <laughs> I gotta find that. I gotta find that email. That's my bad, y'all. But we appreciate you guys uh tuning in and we appreciate all the questions, appreciate all the love. Y'all stay safe out here. COVID going crazy. Uh get them boosters, stay in the house, wherever you want to go, probably not worth it. Um, so we appreciate the love, appreciate the support. Uh we'll be back after the Arizona game in week 18 for our final post-game show. We'll see you guys after that. Peace. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.